We've been told to live like Jesus, but have we learned how to truly do that? The Bible is full of nuance and truth that can be lost in translation if read without context. And we want to help you navigate it. This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. And I'm your host, Gianna Hearn. Today, we're going back into Mark and continuing in chapter one, focusing on verses 12 through 20. Jason, Michael, what's up, guys? Michael sounded muffled. Am I muffled? You're back for a second. Couldn't hear you. Oh, okay. That's because um, I didn't set my mic up where it needed to be. So now, now I'm ready. It was, uh, it was another mic thing and Lord knows I need to fix that on my own because you wouldn't tell me Gianna. So I try to have your back, Michael. Okay. We we already discussed this last episode. Let's move on to actually, I have a question (laughs) about a story I saw and I'm wondering if you guys saw it too. Um, and it had to do with families. They came one by one to the baptismal front in a Phoenix church um, where reverend, reverend whose baptisms up until last summer are presented to be invalid or presumed to be invalid um, because he missed a word during their baptisms. And so apparently like wow. thousands of people, they're saying their baptisms are invalid. And to me, I was shocked that one word could do that. Um, but they're taking it pretty seriously in this Catholic church. Um, so do you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, Jason, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's crazy. I, I like, I guess, so I definitely have thoughts, but I also have some questions. So like now, now what, like, how do you find all the people, uh, who apparently um, well, what happens to them, I guess now? Let's say they can't find them. What happens to them? Well, well. so I didn't finish this sentence, but it does say that I said families came one by one to the baptismal in Phoenix um, because they were now pouring holy water over the heads of dozens of people to in a do-over of the Catholic ritual. So the now what is they're coming back and being you know, poured over with this holy water as to say that you, now you have a valid baptism. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think my main question is how do you choose how to fix this issue? And you go from, we missed a word, so we're just pouring holy water. How those two things make it better? Interesting to me, I don't know the answers. I mean, we have, obviously, I'm sure, feelings about the ritual in general. Um, Michael has something to say. Well, I always do. Here's what strikes this about, or strikes me about this, is, you know, I think it's easy to kind of laugh at it and be like, that sounds crazy. Like, because basically, if I remember the story, he said, I baptize you instead of we baptize you. And so he got the I and the we wrong. (laughs) That'll do it. And so they, uh, they, um, uh, thus ruled for like almost two decades, everything invalid. And it's easy to look at that and be like, that's crazy. Like, why would they care that much? Yeah, like they're really it. losing sight of some things, but I've seen, mm-hmm. um, you know, similar things in our own tradition Absolutely. where people are like, yeah, oh, oh so true. their knee was out of the water yep. or their, you know, elbow didn't get under, we got to do it again. And sometimes <laughs> people say that jokingly, take. but, but yeah, it didn't take, you know, whatever. Sometimes people do that jokingly. Um, but I think, uh, sometimes not. Yep. And where I think it becomes actually, um, interesting to me is just in the overall discussion of, um, it's really creating one of those boundaries that I don't mm-hmm. think is at the center of our faith. I'm not saying baptism doesn't matter. I'm not saying, you know, certain traditions don't matter, but there's a, you know, place where you can start to put sacrament and boundaries and rules as the key identifier of who you are as a people rather than Christ himself at the center. I think we're going to get into that 
um, topic more as we go through Mark. But that's what's interesting about that to me and where, you know, I wouldn't get too judgmental, although it does yeah. it does make me laugh. It does sound funny from the outside looking in. I think it was just shocking to me the sheer number of people they were saying would have invalid baptisms. And But to your point, Michael, it was in this article saying how important it was. It says the difference is theologically crucial. The Vatican ruled in 2020 because it's not the we of the congregation doing the baptizing, but the I of Jesus Christ working through the priest. So that is why for uh, for that church, it, it was so important to them. So, I mean, if, if that's what they ruled and they're going based off of that, I can see why they're, you know, trying to fix this pretty quickly. But interesting stuff to talk about. Um, as we wrap it up, did you want to say anything else? Jason, I saw you were going to speak. Well, I think it's basically what Michael said. I, I mean, I've been at baptisms where, you know, a gal's hair didn't go all the way under. And it's like, well, it didn't take. We got to do it over. It's a full submersion. And I think this uh, this little problem could, if we had the courage, shine a light on our um, what can be at times. And it's not it's not just the Catholic Church. It's not just the Churches of Christ. But we our, our view of baptism can begin to border on idolatry when we at best legalism, at worst idolatry, uh, because we uh, we think it's uh, we almost bring baptism baptism into a discussion about like cracking some code um, in order to please God. So I have a lot to say on that, all of which would surely uh, cause me to lose friends, perhaps get me fired. <laughs> so <laughs> well, um, no, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, I, have a, I have a very high view of baptism, but this makes the point nicely for, from my perspective of why we need to have a very robust, biblically informed vision of what's going on in baptism. Uh, so, yeah. Vision and someday discussion, because I would like to hear all of that. Um, and let me say two things on that real quick. One is there's many reasons that Jason loses friends. It doesn't just happen to yes. be discussions like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, number two, I mean, th- that kind of I think twisted view of baptism goes back centuries. I mean, even all the way back to Constantine when he, you know, reportedly has his army baptized with their, with their sword hands sticking out of the water. water. Exactly. So that they could still fight with a sword because he knew (laughs) that 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 is quite a loophole. It's, that's a great loophole. <laughs> yeah, well, I could see some some young campus brothers uh, twisting that thing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving my video game hand out yeah. of the water so yeah. I can play as much as I oh, want. Oh boy, yeah, wow. Okay. Well, well. The only way we combat topics like this is trying to be trained readers reflecting uh, Jesus, uh, and that's what we're go. doing There's in our passage way. today. Yep. Uh, again, like I said before, Mark 1, verses 12 through 20. Jason, can you give us a read? Yeah, Mark Mark 12, uh, well, I'm sorry, 12 through 20. One, Mark chapter 1, 12 verse 12. Okay, pulling it up. There we go, Jason. All right. He's with us now. All right. Uh, <laughs> at once, the Spirit drove him, uh, that is Jesus, out into the wilderness. And there he remained for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild beasts, and angels attended to his needs. After John had been arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has arrived. The kingdom of God is upon you. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee when he saw Simon and his brother Andrew at work with casting nets in the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, mending their nets. At once he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Revised English Bible, in case you're wondering. Sorry. Thank you, Jason. Jason. Jason went. Fancy on the translation. Yeah, nice. it's, it's one of my favorites lately. Um, yeah, okay. Sorry. Okay, all right. 
So let's start off with our first step. Reading glasses on. Michael actually has some on today for the first time ever. Yes. (laughs) Physical reading reading glasses. glasses. It's it's a jarring image. I'm not used to that. (laughs) I thought I was going to escape my whole life without wearing glasses, but I have found them advantageous at times reading. So... Okay, let's let's look at this. Uh, Jason just read that text for us, and hopefully you read along. And um, I don't want to totally focus on this as reading glasses on, because this is not the sum total of this step. But if we read this passage decontextualize, what are some of the things that we kind of come up with that just jump out at us if we're not considering history, literary context, cultural context. What do we see in this passage that might jump out at us or seem strange or whatever? You guys got anything? Yeah. Let's look at verses 12 and 13, for instance. What jumps out there in those verses? Well, okay. Um, And... You could you could be uh, you could get the impression, I suppose, that this whole being uh, uh, driven out into the the wilderness is a move to like prepare, like it's a kind of like self discipline thing, or it's just like uh, it's mere training uh, for Jesus to be able to uh, be a minister. It's like seminary in 40 days or something like that in the wilderness. Uh, so you could miss the the symbolic world in which this event is taking place. Um, yeah, which so, we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. So that's the first yeah. thing in those verses. There's others, though, I suppose. Sure. I think the things that stick out to me is I always think, okay, what are the words? If I were to bold them and write this myself, would I bold? So I'm like, at mm. once, the spirit. So spirit would jump out to me. So something about the spirit is important. And then also the wilderness. And then I see Satan and then I see wild animals, angels attended him. And so I'm like, okay. And knowing other versions of this, uh, in the Bible, it's so short, like everything that happens in the desert, like we don't get told about anything. We just get to, we're just told he was driven out there. He was there for 40 days. Satan was there, wild animals and angels attended him. And then we move on. And so that was what was striking to me. That's perfect. That's that's, great. That's perfect. Yeah. And, and I, I was hoping that you would bring that up. And, and so one of the things here is, and, and by the way, G that's, that's actually a good job of reading glasses on reading that passage is looking at the terms, you know, pointing out, wow, there seems to be a significance to this term, to that term, this thing's repeated, you know, whatever it may be. And that, I think that's exactly the response that a lot of people have to these verses in Mark, but honestly to Mark as a whole is there's, uh, you know, I'm going to go over and read this in another gospel because there's no details about this. Like Mark's sort of short shrifting us here. He's just given us, and in fact, throughout history, some people have claimed like Mark's kind of, you know, the lesser of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And synoptic is simply a word that means similar or same. Uh, but Mark's Mark's the little brother because he doesn't have all those details. And what we need to do and what we'll do in a few minutes is go, uh, maybe there's a reason Mark is doing that. What what are the purposes? Why is he not giving details in certain places? What is he actually trying to accomplish more than just, oh, he was pretty bad at summarizing and didn't give enough details. So we'll we'll get into that in a minute. Let's, Let's look at verses 14 to 15, just reading glasses on. What do we see there, whether it's, you know, terms or repetition or the things that we might come away with decontextualized from this passage? Well, at first glance, I see that he mention, mentions John again. John seems to be a character that he wants to bring up, mm-hmm. not with great detail. But again, we see he wants us to see after John was put in prison. So to me, that's giving us a location or a timing of something. Um, and then we, we see he goes into Galilee. So we see a change of location from what, where we saw the baptism, um, of Jesus. 
And then uh, we continue to see the repetitiveness of the good news and that being proclaimed. All right. Very good. Jason, anything to add to that? You mean uh, uh, false uh, impressions on these verses? Either one. Either one. Well, I mean, uh, of course, these are these are two very full verses. Um, and I suppose some, some of your takeaways will, uh, be linked to, if you're an English speaker, I guess you, you, the, the version of uh, the Bible in English that you're reading. Um, because there is a phrase, um, that's what we will probably discuss, but the, whether or not the kingdom of God is, is come, is coming, will come, um, how, how you interpret that. But then, of course, what you do with that will inform what you mean by repent and uh, believe. And again, the gospel shows up, which we talked about. So so all of it is, um, if we didn't do any excavation, uh, each of these terms are probably already handed to us in a nice package for us to just go away and draw conclusions. There you go. Yeah. And with with all of these terms, they can be so loaded, you know, gospel slash good news. Right. Uh, repent, kingdom of God, where they sound so familiar that we can just read our understanding in without uh, taking the time to go back and say, you know, the, the kingdom of God is, is a very long promised, long awaited uh, Jewish event. Uh, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, these are all terms rooted in the story of Israel, in the promise of the Messiah. And it's really important to understand what Jesus meant by these terms. And then I think on a practical level, if we just read these passages, you know, I'm just having my quiet time and I come along verse 14 and 15, and I'm reading the Bible in, in one of those ways that can be so common where this is all aimed at me and my personal devotion and what I need to walk away from with this scripture. You know, I can easily start asking questions like, okay, Jesus came and preached the gospel to repent and believe. Do I have to do that too? Is, do I have to do it in the same way? This is, this is a, a prescriptive, you know, passage for me. Uh, and, is that the point of this passage, or is it about something else? So those are questions that I think we'll we'll answer or try to at least consider in in just a moment. And then I think a similar thing in verses sixteen to twenty, right? Um, and the phrase that jumps out there, uh, what what's the big evangelism phrase that we see in verses sixteen to twenty that can jump out at us? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not an evangelism phrase. But it's fishers of men. There you go. Thanks for thanks for spoiling the secret, Jason. <laughs> yeah, fishers of men for sure. I mean, that's the one that's just it's loaded for us. Right, and we think we know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. And so we come away and we go, "Well, I know what that passage is about. Come and I'll send you out to fish for people. I got to do that too. This is prescriptive. That's." exactly what this passage means. And again, let me be clear, we're not at any point saying we're against evangelism and we're trying to tear that down. But we have to first understand what Jesus was doing in context so that we know what road we're heading down and why. You know, you get these terms wrong and they have ramifications. You start to think that the kingdom of God means my church, that has ramifications for how I'm going to understand Scripture, the totality of Scripture, and, you know, same with these terms. So, okay, so that's that's kind of a, a summary of step one. Again, this is where you're reading it, you're looking, you, you know, you can take notes on the things you notice, the questions you might have, the words you want to look up and study, or the terms, and you go, oh boy, uh, I think I know what that term means, so I better check out and make sure if if that's really how Scripture uses that term. And I think this is a good stage to not make yeah. assumptions, as we talked about in the last episode. So, 
Gee, we're ready to move on to step two, which is... The time machine. <laughs> okay, so I can take off my reading glasses. <laughs> um, time machine. So let me bring up a couple of points here. Again, we can't go into all of this, and we're not even trying, right? We've discussed that in previous episodes. This is more about walking with our audience, giving people the tools of how to study. And we're trying to find that balance of doing enough where you see some things that maybe you wouldn't initially on your own and learn how to um, mine some of these things out. But then we don't want to do too much where we're doing it all for you or it becomes tedious to listen to us to the degree to which we're going through this. So if we go back to verses 12 and 13, there's a couple of terms uh, that I want to focus on here, which I think are, uh, or ideas that I think are really important. Now, Jason, you talked about the symbolism of this passage, and uh, particularly that jumps out to me with the word wilderness. Right. What is Mark doing in this passage by bringing up, you know, first of all, what was Jesus doing? In going out into the wilderness, being led by the Spirit here, what was the Spirit doing? What was Jesus doing? But what is Mark trying to do as he highlights this this point here? Uh, yeah. Well, the the um, the it's drawing on a a formative uh, moment for the people uh, of Israel. Uh, they spent uh, 40, 40 years uh, wandering uh, due to a, um, a, a decision to stop trusting God. Um, you, you could read about uh, the, 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 uh, the detour into the wilderness uh, beginning in like numbers. Well, it's a section numbers 11 through 14, but really uh, chapter 14. And then, of course, uh, Deuteronomy chapter one, the, Moses's, you know, final speech or whatever begins there. Why they've been wandering? Uh, the idea was uh, that the generation which broke faith with God, uh, forty years would give ample time for them to die, uh, and then the children would inherit the land uh, because they're uh, more open. Uh, hopefully, is the idea. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a way of telling that story again, Jesus, and, and this is a very, uh, in-depth, uh, discussion about how a, an individual in, <clears throat> and again, the, the, I, you mentioned Isaiah, Isaiah's all over Mark, but in Isaiah's, uh, in the discussion of the servant, especially at, uh, chapter 53, how an individual might be able to embody within him or herself a multitude. And so uh, Jesus is effectively uh, Israel in this story, retelling the story, going out, facing temptation, um, overcoming uh, the wilderness and the temptation there. Something that uh, was important for Israel um, that they might inherit the land, or their children might, anyways. So, so to to begin here uh, is to is to tell that story of uh, uh, moving toward a a new land. I think, um, and there's probably other reasons. I you know I I I can't talk with Mark, so I don't know. Why he he uh, all of his his thinking here, but but it's certainly retelling the story of Israel, and that will come up over and over. Um, uh, another example would be the twelve disciples, right? Twelve isn't just right. a good number for a leadership team; it's Israel. It's the twelve tribes. He's he is. Uh, I don't. It's probably not fair to say. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe this is a way of thinking about it. I, I don't necessarily think Jesus is like Israel 2.0 or something like that. But there is a filling out of the narrative in Jesus's self, which is yeah, he's the fulfillment of the yeah, totally, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think 
probably of the gospel writers, none drill out, drill down on that topic more than does John, yeah. uh, showing Jesus to be the new Israel. But Mark certainly does that. There's one other aspect of this. Gee, what do you got with the mention of the he was with the wild animals? Any thoughts on that? That seems like a, a weird phrase to throw in there. I don't think I have anything. Like, I'm trying to figure out why would the wild animals. I mean, we. what I do know is that John the Baptist was with wild animals, and they talked about how, I don't know why they brought that up, that he spent time out in the wilderness, things like that. So I'm not really sure what the connection would be, but maybe away from the normal setting of where there's already, like, laws and rules of how to go about life and following God. So where there's wild animals, there's no rule, there's no leadership. I really have no clue. No, I, I like that. And ultimately, I mean, again, as Jason kind of alluded to, there are some themes here where we can't go directly to the mind of Mark and say, you know, or ask Mark directly, what precisely did you mean by that? But I think the the general consensus and the one that I lean towards here is, again, he's he's already mentioned themes from Isaiah. And Isaiah points to the new creation, the time will, where the lamb will lay down with the lion and the and the beasts will be together and that sort of thing. And I think that's what Mark is alluding to is that that time has come. He's with the wild beasts and they don't seem to be menacing him. The angels are there. Now, they're not keeping him from temptation, but they're attending him. And so there's this picture we have in these opening verses of Mark of, uh, you know, as we pointed out last week, uh, in the beginning, there's kind of this, let's go back to Genesis. This is a new creation thing. It's uh, He brings that out in Isaiah. So we have new Israel, new creation. This is all coming together. It's setting up. Uh, what is happening here? Now, I, I can't remember if we talked about this last week, so correct me if I did. But what if we compare this gospel to Matthew and Luke, especially the way they begin, what does Mark not have that Matthew and Luke do? It's not a trick question. This is kind of a big, obvious. Yeah, one. I mean, it, it's it's the 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 encounter. It's a it's a dis, uh, the encounter with the Satan is described. Um, Sorry, yes. Let let me rephrase. That's certainly true. Mark has left out those details. Um, let let me rephrase that and be sharper with my question. How has Mark begun his gospel as a whole? that is different from how Matthew and Luke begin their Gospels. Yeah, they place it later. Uh, there's no inf- there's no infancy narrative. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it, yeah. it, it comes up a- a- after. Like in Luke, it's chapter 4. So you get, get quite a ways into his understanding right. of what needs to be told uh, before you There's no it. genealogy. There's no genealogy, exactly. None of that. There you go. And so the question becomes, and this relates to, gee, kind of what you brought up, is there is no, you know, temptation narrative here. He doesn't get into the Jesus and Satan showdown. Like, what is going on? Is this another example of, man, Mark just cut this down too much. He summarized it too much. And, you know, according to early church tradition, uh, the information from the Gospel of Mark is actually coming from Peter, who then passes it on, and John Mark or whichever Mark it was uh, records it and writes it down. Did he just oversummarize here? Uh, you know, did he give us the Cliff Notes version? And what I'm going to contend here is I think this actually plays into Mark's audience and what Mark is doing. Mark is not writing this to tell people about Jesus. You know, John states that at the very beginning. I'm uh, and towards the oh, sorry, he states it towards the end, and then you're supposed to go back and understand that's what he's been doing from the very beginning. Is saying I'm writing this so that you can believe in Jesus and know he's the Messiah, know who he is. I think you see similar things with Matthew and Luke. They're trying to lay out, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment, and he's the story, and here's who he is, and let me lay out that he's uh, 
the king from the very beginning, I think Mark is writing this to the church and most likely to the church in the Roman Empire, to Roman-thinking Gentile Christians, and he's challenging them. And so he doesn't need a birth narrative. They're, they're already disciples. They believe in Jesus. They believe he's king. He Now, he's going to show them that Jesus is king, but in a whole different way much later in his gospel, in a different way in the narrative to play into his purposes of challenging them about this cosmic showdown that is happening that he's going to keep bringing up in Mark. We'll get into more the next passage in our next episode when we get into the um, the whole demon possession uh, issue that takes place. We'll get into that cosmic showdown there. But I think that's why Mark is so brief. Mark is is getting to what he wants to get to. He's got that a point. Makes sense. Yeah. And so he's just, hey, here's who Jesus is. Boom, boom, boom. Now let's get into where we want to go. Right. And if I let's can interject. Re- yeah, please quick. do, G. If you think about it from like a journalist perspective, which I am, um, what you highlight in your first couple sentences to people should tell people what your story is going to be about. And so if I look the same way, like at Mark, I'm seeing a lot about the kingdom to come or the kingdom is near. I'm seeing a lot about repentance and I'm seeing a lot about the gospel or good news. Um, Those have been, I mean, obviously Jesus is in there as well, but I'm seeing a lot about more like a kingdom mindset so far about what's to come and what we should pay attention to um, than I was seeing in other gospels. Okay, I love that. Here's why that's brilliant. Sorry, I cut you off, but I got so excited at what you just said. Here's why that's brilliant. So now, remember, we're seeing this from a first century vantage point as much as we can, right? So kingdom, when you start talking about the kingdom, especially the kingdom of God, you've got all these promises of God coming to reign over his people and deal with the empires of darkness, the empires of the present age, right? So you have, and when you talk first century kingdoms, that's one kingdom against the other. You know, who's who's the biggest dog kingdom on the block? Then you use a word like repent. Now, when we use repent in the 21st century, we often, again, like everything else, we have individualized and personalized the meaning of that as a, what repent means is, hey, gee, you need to repent, meaning you got to do better. Mm-hmm. You got to stop smoking, stop <laughs> swearing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stop kicking puppies and... We are praying for you on all of those fronts, <laughs> yeah. but right. That's kind of what it means is I got to, I got to do better morally. Mm-hmm. I got to straighten myself up. That is not at all what that word means in the first century. It's a word that could be used and often was in a military setting. So if there were two armies and one general was yelling at the other side, repent, or we will kill you. In other words, change sides. Change the way you think. Change who your allegiance is to. Come over on this side and change sides. So if you start out, you, you mentioned being a journalist. By the way, I was a journalist too. I have that background. Um, 11th grade yearbook. Mm-hmm. I, was the, I was the sports editor. So let's, let's not hey. overlook that. But you if, if you look... There you go. If you look from a that perspective and you see a book that starts with the kingdom and there's a call to repent. So what sort of vibe is this giving you that's taking place? Let, let's take it out of the biblical context. If you're in the first century and you start hearing a kingdom is arriving and you need to repent. What is this a story about? Preparation, getting ready. For what? For God to take no, no, no. his we're, place? We're despiritualizing it now. Oh, sorry. Just in okay. general. Yep, yep. So just in general, you hear a story Prepare about... to switch sides? Yeah, because what's coming? 
You know this. <laughs> I'm losing you know it. This, <laughs> Where's Jason another, in all this? <laughs> there, yeah, Jason, join in. There's yeah. another kingdom coming, yeah. and you need to repent. What is coming? Yeah, it it's it and and Mark has has started it this way, and he's not gonna stop all the way up through the calling of the disciples. This is Mark. Uh, uh, Mark is is uh, if you are if you're an early reader, uh, w- one of the uh, earliest readers of Mark's gospel, you hear a message of judgment um, rather than a message of uh, a religious alternative. It's a message of judgment that's a cosmic judgment. It's not a small affair, and so and and I like Michael that that you have have emphasized with the repentance, how we think. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of anxiety that if we say repentance has to do with our thought life rather than our deeds or our behaviors, that that means people won't ever really change your behaviors. And I think that is a total short sale on what is meant here by repentance because it, it is, it's our whole, we've just described this We've called it a hermeneutic of expectancy or or openness, yep. and that's the idea here. It's it's open yourself up to see uh, between the trees into the forest uh, that that a judgment is coming, and it looks markedly different than what you might have imagined. Um, and so, repentance is a is a uh, a a move to believe uh, to 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 get yourself open to see enough that you might um, come to come with uh, what's the word with, with, with joy, with eagerness to this, this message. So, but I, I do think it's judgment. I mean, I hope that's what you're getting at, Michael. If not, I've just wasted everyone's time going on. So what's coming next, Michael? I don't Hang Hang on. You, so we're we're moving in the right direction, and, and Jason's definitely right. There's a theme of judgment coming, but I I, I want us to get this G before we move on because it's going to be really important. <laughs> so we're we're going to do this G. Come on. So here's the thing: you're in a country today, right? Okay. And you hear someone else come from the outside, and they start saying, "There is another kingdom that is coming." And you are living in the wrong realm, and you, this realm is going to be judged, and you need to change your allegiances, or you will be experiencing that judgment in some form. So we're calling you to change your mind and switch. What is about to take place in the country that you live in? War. An invasion. Invasion. <laughs> right? You got me there. I'm, I'm there you so go. close. No, you're you're on the right track. There's an invasion coming. And we taking over the territory. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And people. yes. Exactly. And possessions. There you, there you go. Yes. The the invasion is coming. There is uh you know, because and this is the confusion, because up to this point. What are people thinking of in terms of realms? Roman Empire, the nation of Israel, Assyria, you know, things of that nature. And while there's importance to that, Jesus is trying to get them to see there's a different, and this is what Mark is trying to point out, there's a different battle going on. There's two cosmic realms. There's the realm of empire in the present age. And there's this other realm that was not available before, only in whispers and promises. It's here. It's coming. You better change your mind about how you live. And so I want to be clear here. Jason and I talk about judgment. We talk about the individualized version of the gospel. It's not that your behavior or your morals don't matter in this coming kingdom, it's that it's so much bigger than that. It's not just about, you know, your personal habits. It's literally about the values by which we live. And it's going to change everything radically. Our view of identity, our view of, um, you know, 
who we are, how we fit in this world, our view of politics, all of those things, Jesus says, is changing. Listen, the time has come. The kingdom is here. It's near. Repent. And and I will note that believe is not just, hey, take this all in mentally. Believe is get ready to act. Yeah. That was belief in the first century, like things are changing here. And this is a great opportunity. I mean, this is something you learn, um, or at least it's something I learned in grad school, like in studying uh, studying the Bible. Like you, not everything can be understood by turning to a dictionary, looking up the word, you know, parsing it out, and then returning to the text with that meaning. Because... Uh, writers uh, have, they employ terms within a a narrative, within a setting, within a context. So, and this would be an example of, we might use repent in a, in the church, say, change, change what you're doing or stop what you're doing. Or, you know, if you've heard the whole, like repentance just means an about face or something like that. Okay. That's, that's great. And I suppose some of that's here, but, but the call for repentance here is, is a, is a, um, uh, it, it it has to be understood within the context of the announcement of the reign of God, not just a uh, becoming a better a better self. Or even that's a stupid example, but stop smoking. That's the worst. But that's funny. That's the one we always reach for. Stop smoking your cigarettes because the kingdom of God is here. <laughs> and, and, and it's important. It's important to note that, like, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, this isn't like you know repent because the church is here or something like that. This is, this is not like some way of life that's being offered. Like, you know, being a Christian is a way of life. Like, okay, fine. But this is, this is even larger than that. This is an announcement that the reign of God is coming. I love that you use the word invasion because that's exactly what unfolds, right? An invasion, but it's an invasion on God's territory that some other power has claimed for itself. And it's not like God is hijacking someone else's place. This belongs to God. God is is coming to reign, uh, and spe- specifically uh, in in what Jesus Christ goes on to say and do. And so I, yeah. I think this is you know one of the most helpful Bible study tips is don't just look up a word in a dictionary. Take on the the setting in which a word comes because. Uh, Mark knows what he wants you to get from repentance. Uh, Oxford Dictionary might not. Um, yeah, good point. Good point. And, and, and you're spot on. It's setting up here. And we're trying to set up to prepare us to, to follow Mark and see what he's doing. There's this, there's this invasion. So what we should expect is a conflict a battle between right, two realms right, right. that will lead us to a choice of which way of life and values, which realm are we going to choose? And keep in mind that Mark is writing this to challenge the church. And yeah. so he's not even talking here in terms of his primary focus is not non-Christian versus Christian. This is where this gets at us on a personal level. He's I think with everything Mark's writing, he's then turning his gaze to the church and going, do you see this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you lost sight? You have a choice to make. You're sitting on the fence of which realm am, am I going to live by here? One other thing before we move on to the last verses here, just real quick, um, and hopefully I won't make this too confusing and, and muddle it, but let me ask you guys one more question. In uh, so we're going to play a game of what's in Michael's head right now. <laughs> in general terms, what do modern Western Christians or which direction do we tend to focus on when we think about God and the kingdom of God and our eternal um, reality? When it comes to all of that, which direction do we focus on? Does that make sense? I, I, think, I think I know what you're asking. And uh, this is most confusing probably in the first part of the gospel according to Matthew. 
where Mark is using the kingdom of God, Matthew will use the kingdom of heaven. And we can imagine that what is being described is the kingdom in heaven. So it's like where our attention is like up in heaven. Is that what you're getting at? Like, um, right. Rather right, than, right, right. rather than the kingdom of God, um, coming to birth horizontally, I guess you could say we think of yeah. it vertically. It's a, it's a religious. The, exactly. Exactly. I'll say two things really quick. One is, yeah, the way that biblical writers tend to use heaven is more like the way we we use the term the White House. Yeah, it, it's yeah. symbolic good. for the seat of authority. So heaven right, is right. the seat of God's authority. But yeah, I think most of our direction is about us going up to heaven one day. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. arrows are all going, you know, in the upward direction, and it's about us right. personally. But where are the arrows pointing in Mark here? And actually in most of the New Testament. It is decidedly downward. Is is decidedly downward. It's downward because even like the, the, it's an allusion to Isaiah 63 in verses, was it 10 through 11, where the heavens tore open. And if you go read Isaiah 63, um, it says the heavens tore open. You know, God comes down. And that's the language of the Exodus, right? God has come down. It's the, the language of the story of the Tower of Babel. God comes down. Um, d- directional. It's a directional metaphor, I suppose, in some sense, but it's certainly not an evacuation plan, an escapist kind of religion being offered here. It definitely is toward uh, life in God's good world rather than uh, an escape plan to get out of. Um, and that has massive implications for the life of faith and discipleship and evangelism. So I think that's a huge point you just made right there. I think that's my favorite point since becoming a disciple, actually. And when I talk to other people that are studying the Bible with me, um, when we talk about heaven, um, because prior to being a follower of Jesus, you know, I wanted to get to heaven. It was so much a paradise. It was where I would have no, you know, no problems. It was going to be easy breezy, whatever I decided heaven looked like in my mind. Maybe it was Jamaica. I don't know. (laughs) But now that has completely just fallen down in my mind. It's no longer there. It was blown up what I think heaven is. Mm -hmm. Now, when I talk to people about heaven, um, I explain it in a sense of heaven is being able to walk with God here, like being able to, uh, on a daily basis, be in his presence. Whereas before, uh, he was no, he couldn't, he's not around us right now. So I think for me, the idea of heaven is being able to be with God again. Um, that is what I'm trying to go towards rather than a place or a paradise. I'm trying to go to God and be being with him. That would be what heaven to me is, but, and maybe I'm way off, but that's now how I think about it a little bit more or less than a location, but more of the relationship with God now being intimate in person and tangible. Right, right, right. And you know, I don't, that is so true G and I, I feel like that's also one of, the greatest um, insights and sources of encouragement and clarity uh, in my uh, Christian life too. Like, I I don't know if you've had this experience, Michael, but like uh, if I teach on say uh, resurrection in, in scripture and how it, how it, uh, how it uh, emerges, I guess, and, and what it, what it looks like in, in, in the gospel, what it looks like in Paul. And it, it starts to move away from uh, Plato's, uh, you know, rather sophisticated body soul dichotomy. The, the whole, the soul is in prison and the body, or really you say the soul looks through prison bars as though it's looking through prison bars in the body, Mm -hmm. whatever. But, but when I, when I finished that discussion and now I've learned to anticipate this comment but I'll often get, um, well, we'll figure it out when we get there, won't we? You know, like, what's the difference if it's just souls floating off to heaven or if it's resurrection from the dead or if, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's a total annihilation of of planet Earth or if it's a restoration of planet Earth, uh, we'll figure it out. What's the difference? Let's just be disciples now. And 
therein lies the, the subtle deception of, of, of missing this point, because it's not just a, we'll figure it out when we get there. It, it actually tells you a, a great deal about what you should be doing as the people of God. Um, and if one, if, if one mindset believes we're getting out of here, well, then all of your behaviors will follow that, that, that direction. Uh, if you imagine a restoration, then your behaviors and imagination will follow that direction. So I think this is a, this is like if we were doing an introductory Bible study series with somebody, Bible study, they never read the Bible, you almost want to start right here. Like this is this is a a, a really important uh, yeah um, bit. So yeah, I love it. So with these last verses in this section, sixteen to twenty, right. there's there's a lot we could go into that we're not going to. We could talk about, and you could study this out on your own if you're listening. The the parallels here between the call of Elisha following Elijah. There's there's definitely some parallels there. There's some interesting information here. I think there's a hint with the fact that John and his family have hired hands that they were probably regionally quite important and influential. And that helps us understand some things about John and now some things work out later um, revolving around Jesus' resurrection and so on. But the the phrase I want to dig down on in this section is... uh, fishers of men. Yes. And I'm going to read here from Jeremiah 16, and let's just see if anything jumps out at you here. Um, Jeremiah 16, and I'm going to pick up in a, a few words into verse 15, and it says, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, For I will restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain, hill, and from the crevices of the rocks. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sin because they have defiled my land with the lifeless forms of their vile images and have filled my inheritance with their detestable idols. Gianna, I'll ask you, any phrase jump out at you from Jeremiah there that's connected with Mark? Yeah, you're going to have to give me a second. I'm going back over it because I was trying to flip to it quickly and I couldn't get to it. So I was trying to just listen to you. You look shocked. Jason, help her out here. What's the, what's the phrase? Yeah. Fishing. It's, it's. Thank you. Thank you. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in a word, Jason, this is going to be hard for you. Are you ready? And in one word. What is being described in Jeremiah by the phrase fisherman? Judgment, hunting, judgment, hunting specifically. Uh, uh, yeah, hunting. You're 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 going out killing. <laughs> it's it's a be- it's a scary metaphor. It's a metaphor. They're announcing God is invading. God has had enough mm-hmm. of this realm of rebellion, and He says, "I will send men out to announce my invasion." I am judging this present realm. It is coming. It is breaking in. And Jesus says, you guys are going to come be fishers of men with me. Now, we tend to to, uh, interpret that passage as though it's referring to go evangelize, go bring people in. Again, I'm not anti-evangelism, but we've got to understand what Mark is doing, what Jesus is doing here. He's announcing. Judgment. We're going to go tell people the invasion is coming. There's a showdown between two realms. And so, again, does it include individuals coming to accept Christ and live a different way? Yes. But it's so much bigger than that. This is part of a bigger turnaround of every aspect of life. That's what Mark is setting up is this this cosmic showdown. We keep using that phrase, but it's going to come up um, again and again and again. 
And now I'll, I'll read here a um, uh, commentary from Timothy Gombas, which I really enjoy. It's maybe one of my favorite, very short, simple commentaries on Mark. And he says, Christian preachers have usually understood this passage, referring to Mark uh, 16 to 20. Uh, this passage is a call to evangelism. The disciples are to catch outsiders and bring them into the church. Jesus' call of Simon and Andrew should be understood as a call to participate, like John the Baptist, in declaring the imminence of judgment. So, Jason, you, you got it in a word, although then you you hedged your bets and you added other words. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, good job. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's let's move on here. There's a lot more we could say there, but we'll we'll keep coming back to this as as we okay. go through All our right. weeks. Go ahead, go ahead, move on, forget it. Because I, I want to ask a, a specific question, and maybe two if we have time as we move to the third step. Which third step, Gianna is take a selfie. Which you're very good at, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or as me being really bane. No, I well, you. I'm not going to touch that one. I'm taking it as a compliment. Thank you, Michael. It was a compliment. (laughs) I mean, you take you of the three of us who takes more selfies. Yeah, it'll definitely be me. Okay, and then I think clearly Jason is second. Yeah, I'm second. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So take a selfie. Let's examine some of the things about us. Um, Again, some some of it as we talk about the message of what they're doing and they're announcing, we start to see, wow, there's differences. That's not how I would have took it or understood it. We have to understand it in their time. So we've already done some of this work. But one of the keys here is Jesus is calling them to discipleship. He's calling them to follow us. Jason, in in just a real short time here, because we are running out of time today, in about a minute, could you describe (laughs) discipleship in the first century? Is that possible or nope? You cannot. So, and you 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 can't uh, because uh, most of our models are. Um, it's not a guarantee. Um, if you want to understand what Mark means by discipleship, read on. <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> Be- because I, like I, I, I don't want to apply any any uh, any conjecture based on rabbinics. Uh, quote schools, um, but I think we can let Mark tell us what that looks like. Okay, all right, I will accept that answer. But but there may be options. But I I'm not I'm not confident enough to say. Well, here's what a rabbi would do in Jesus's day. Um, I yeah. just don't know. Does it look yeah, different there- than what we think? right now, especially in our movement, when we think about discipleship, do you think Mark is explaining it differently as we move on? I, I, I think I would say, let's see. Uh, But, but I think what you're driving at is that discipleship is a leave your job and follow, go anywhere, do anything. Was that the, the, the phrase? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I honest, I'm, I'm being careful here. Because I'm I'm bothered by the dogmatism surrounding this discussion on other podcasts. Uh, so yeah, l- let well, you, I think, you guys answer, it and I, and I'll probably agree. I just I don't know, but that's a good question. No, no, no. I actually like your answer of let's read on mm-hmm. and let Mark like define it. it. Uh, but I think in general we can say that discipleship is. It, in this point as Jesus calling them is, Hey, come and follow me. And I'm going to teach you how to think about things. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to teach you That's how to view the world. Okay. I see right? where you're headed. Yep. It's not time with your mentor over tea. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> not, it could be, I mean, that could be part of it, but that's certainly not the totality of it, but it's, it, to me, it's wrapped up with repentance. We're going to learn a whole new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. There's a new realm coming and I'm going to follow you because you're from the new realm. Right. And so I, I'm going to have to redefine and, and you're going to call me to some tough choices. And it's not just a one-time event. And that's what I think Mark wants to keep looking at the church mm-hmm. and getting them. Do you see that? It's not just a one-time event. You got to keep 
bringing up this question are you following yeah, the path that Jesus cut that's good. so there, there's a there's another conversation I wanted to have I think we're gonna have to let that one go but I I was tempted to talk about calling and I'll simply say this because Jesus is calling them here and I'll just throw this out and we won't be able to talk about it and it'll be really frustrating for people. <laughs> but I think in modern Christianity, we tend to use the word calling in a way that I don't see in scripture. What yeah. I see in scripture is when you're called, that's like God's action to bring you towards him, to move you into, okay, you're now coming into this kingdom. You've been called. That's the way Paul uses the term, our calling but we tend to use it as like my identity forming vocation oh, right. or, you know what, I want to do this. So I now am going to say, I feel like I've been called. Right. I don't necessarily see that language. And I think that does run us in danger sometimes of, well, how can I tell you that I don't think you've been called? <laughs> you know, like, how, how do you argue with that? How do you controvert that? If, well, I've been... I've been called to be, you know, a stand-up comedian for the kingdom of God. Yeah, but you're not funny. <laughs> like, but but I've, I've been, been called, called, you know. So maybe we can have that discussion at a, at another time. Um, let's just yes, let's just let's put a do that. That sounds fun. Let's put a marker on that one. You know, the little what do you call that in a book when you put the little colored flag okay, on it right. and. We'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. Let's go to step four, the kingdom come. Um, and I'll just ask you guys, and, and, you know, when it comes to step four, we're not trying to give the here's the whole answer. Here's the right answer. Here's the everything answer. This is where even when we're doing this step, we really want you as the listeners to do this part on your own because i think the first part where we ask you know how does the church live this out you got to do that in your community i think that's for a church to gather together and go hey let's talk about this you know mm -hmm. how are we going to live this out and then the second question is what does this mean for me but i'll throw those two questions out to the two of you what jumps out at you today as we've gone through you know mark chapter 1 verses 12 to 20 is just one one or two things maybe quickly that jump out at you. How does the church live this out? And what does it mean for me? I think for the what does it mean for me portion of mm -hmm. it, um, that's what I was thinking about this whole time, was this seems to be more about a collective repentance than about an individual repentance, right. Um, right. which has never stood out to me before. And so... What does it mean for me? I think it means me taking some time to figure out what does that mean <laughs> to collectively <laughs> repent together because um, in the last almost five years of my journey uh, as a disciple, it's been largely about me, how I can make impact, how I can help other people know God and all these things um, and trying to figure out what my calling is <laughs> and all these different things. So I think if we could have a better understanding of what we can do as a collective. And I think that makes much more sense as I read your book before, Michael, just on really hot topics like, like abortion, instead of thinking like how I can respond to it or things like that, like how can we as a church, as God's people here on earth, do something about everything and anything? Um, I just think that that's my takeaway is, how should our thinking as a collective, as the kingdom here on earth, how can we move forward? Gee, I'm, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good takeaway. Jason, hop that, buddy. I, I, I can't. That, that's actually, uh, I'll just co-sign that one. That, that's the yeah. idea. And I think that answer covers both of those questions. And and the the takeaway is that what does this mean for us with corporate repentance? Again, with the idea that Mark is writing this to the church, I would say buckle up because mm -hmm. Mark is going to challenge the socks off of us. Mm -hmm. uh, truly, I don't right? know is if we're ready for that. Jason? <laughs> What's that? What'd you say, G? I said I don't know if we're ready for that. <laughs> 
I don't know if we are either, but let's do it together. And everybody's taking big gulps of their drinks right now. Like <laughs> gulp. All right. Well, let's right. let's end it there. The the next we're gonna do one more passage. The next passage in Mark, we're gonna pick up in verse 21. We're gonna do that together. And then in the next episode, we'll kind of explain which passages we're gonna leave for our audience to study out on their own and how they can um get back um to us um and so yeah we're gonna we're gonna send it out and thank everyone um at the end here jason who did the um what's the name of is it dj chris who did the artwork for us dj chris dj chris uh chris yes james he's a good friend good friend yeah james griffin dj chris sounds so much cooler than dj chris (laughs) TJ Chris. So there you go. Uh, G, take it away. Well, this is an exciting episode. If you guys enjoy what we're talking about on our podcast, we'd love it if you would like, comment, subscribe, or even leave us a review. I mean, if you're not enjoying, let us know. Let us know how we can talk about other things you're interested in or you'd like us to dive a little deeper. You can also send Michael a note. No, all of us a note to iconpodcast at gmail.com. That's E-I-K-O-N podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach us, but like we said, special thanks to Dale Noise Production for our music. And we couldn't do our show without our bomb producer, Derek Schneider. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you guys next time. 